Welcome back to Podcast 12 of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at The Ozbreakers. Follow us on social media slash The Ozbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by Shot Quality Bets. For 30% off Shot Quality Bets, please visit Shot Quality Bets and use the promo code ODDS23. Get a new perspective in betting college basketball. If you'd like to support the Oddsbreakers and benefit from our premium plays, please visit theoddsbreakers.com, click shop, and become a member. Pick any of our premium cappers to get their premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com. And if nothing else, please visit the Oddsbreakers and become a free picks and Telegram subscriber. My friends, we have a great show for you today. We have a Super Bowl, a massive football game coming up on Sunday. We have an amazing guest for that in Matt Landis from the Props and Hops podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about the hops, and we're going to certainly talk about the props. As you know, we made some prop bets last week with Rafael Esparza, and we have a few more to share with you for this episode and your Super Bowl extravaganza. Before Matt comes on, we're, of course, going to talk about college basketball, my most focused sport at least since college bowl season. College basketball is rolling. We have some huge games coming up for the weekend. And then I'm also going to talk about UFC 284, Islam Makachev against Alexander Volkanovsky. Now, unfortunately, the spread is massive in this. But we're going to talk about a play that we are making in the main event, and I'm going to give you some suggestions for the rest of the card before Matt comes on to discuss the NFL Super Bowl and prop betting. I also want to remind all you that if you want to become a member of anybody at the Oddsbreakers, we are giving away a free golf polo Oddsbreaker shirt so you can look like a degenerate everywhere you go. Just become a member of myself or any of the other cappers at the Oddsbreakers, and we are running this promo all the way through March. Also, going to be bringing back our March Madness free college basketball NCAA tournament challenge where we are paying out money, no buy-in necessary, for first, second, and third place. So we decided we are bringing that back. We're going to have you have some more info for you in the beginning of March for that challenge. You guys have given us so much just by listening to this podcast, and we definitely want to give some back to all of you wonderful listeners. All right, let's get right into some college basketball for the weekend. And before we talk about a few plays that I'm going to be making We are going to go college basketball, buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high. That's my motto. All right. Starting with buy low, San Jose State. This team has some awful free throw luck. Their opponents are hitting 77.2% from the charity stripe. 
I think they clean up the turnovers now they they have been playing together longer and they come, become kind of a formidable team, a very quiet team that nobody's thinking about in the Mountain West. So starting with San Jose State. Next, I'm going to Washington State as a good buy low spot. They are number 361st in luck on Ken Palm. That's third worst in the league. This team had a bunch of weird injuries, and they will get some guys back here down the stretch. We're going to look to Washington State, and we are going to look to Arkansas. This SEC team was picked to be top two in the preseason. It was, If you remember, it was Tennessee and them. They lost some guys during the year, but the Mitchell brothers are playing fantastic. And I was been waiting for them to kind of gel. They played at Maryland for a while, if you remember. Then they went to Rhode Island for a couple years. Now they transferred to Arkansas. I think with the correct coaching of Musselman there, uh, this team has gelled, and so has the Mitchell brothers. I'm liking Arkansas down the stretch here for sure. Sell high. We're going to look at West Virginia. I like backing them in Morgantown, but this team has an away game four of the next six. They will be on the road. I am not buying their top 15 ranking on Ken Palm either. I think there should be in the top 20s or maybe low 30s even. Sell high on West Virginia. Next, I am unfortunately selling high on Rutgers. They lost Mawat Mag to an ACL, and that is horrible. He was a great defender and a 56% shooter from two down low. Ouch. Massive injury woes for Rutgers. And then finally, Indiana. This team never does well down the stretch. They have four of their next five games away from Memorial Stadium. I'm looking to fade them. And I'm going to give you an honorable mention for a sell high, and that's going to be Mississippi State. This team had lucked out by getting both TCU and Missouri while they were both very hurt. That was the four of four wins in a row. Two of them were garbage teams. I think it was like South Carolina and Georgia, and then the other two was just bad luck with TCU and Missouri. So Mississippi State has... Uh, risen up when they necessarily not necessarily should have i'll be possibly looking to fade them let's get into the actual plays that we will be making projected on these lines obviously i projected a little bit worse than what ken Palm says just to be careful but i think that uh if the lines are getting are better when they open i would definitely attack those right away we're gonna look at fading Rutgers against Illinois. Illinois is going to be minus three and a half. The total is 130. A lot of efficiency sites have Rutgers better than Illinois. So just keep that in mind. That's why I said the injury three and a half probably. But if you see two, fire immediately. This game's not hard to figure out. Illinois heating up in the Big Ten when they won seven of their last nine games. They are a force from down low, ranking seventh in near proximity shots. Rutgers ranking 81st close to the rim and 313th from mid-range. Rutgers is a great defensive team, ranking third on Haslam metrics and efficiency, but their best big defender, Mawat Mag, like I just said, gone for the season. That really hurts. Neither team can shoot the three ball well. Rutgers 271st. I guess Spencer's their only guy. And Illinois ranking 292nd. But this game's going to be one inside because the Illinois 
are the is the better rebounding team, ranking 33rd on offense, 77th on defense, while Rutgers ranks 58th on offense and 133rd in defensive rebound percentage. Illinois ranks 116th for home court performance. Rutgers ranks dead last in away court performance, 363rd. Take the Illini. I like them all the way up to minus four and a half. I put minus three and a half for now. We'll see that where this comes out for the article this week. Two point five stars. What is the five fingers say to the face? <laughs> what? Slap. Baylor versus TCU plus two. Total is one fifty-two. Bravo for to TCU for this year and Jamie Dixon. Fantastic accomplishment, but I'm sticking with the lame duck syndrome because efficiency sites don't adjust right away. The odds makers don't care. They just put out the number and let the market adjust it before they raise limits. Let's face it, losing that point guard and leader and Mike Miles was brutal. Baylor's the number one team now on Ken Palm in offensive efficiency. Their guard play is, is extraordinary with LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler. Their only re- this was rebounding on defense, right? They're ranking in the 300s there on Haslam metrics. But you got to remember that Jonathan Chamu Chachua is back. He has played the last two games for Baylor, and he's played very well. TCU's weakness is from the arc, only shooting 28.7% from downtown, one of the last teams in basketball. They also do not defend well against teams that pass the ball, ranking 299th in assists per field goals made on defense. They're a poor defensive rebounding team, ranking 296. Baylor ranks number 12. In offensive rebounds, they're going to have a ton of second-chance opportunities here. Uh, Baylor's just a great passing team. And without Miles, uh, I have to say this TCU team, even though they're at home, is going to get smoked. You know, TCU should have been a favorite with Miles. I'm going to say they're going to be plus two in this situation. I like Baylor here. I think they cover it easily. Um, I think it's another one you get on early. Uh, Hopefully you get it under the three. I like Baylor up to four points, minus 2.5 stars. We'll call it minus Two. Duh. Winning. All right, let's take a look at some other big games going on this weekend. I'm going to pull up Friday just to kind of see what the matchups look like to see if there's anything worth talking about there. Usually a much smaller slate. Lots of the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. You know, you got your St. Peter's versus your Marists. You got your Siennas versus your Mount St. Mary's. Quinnipiac versus Niagara. And there was a little bit of action, Akron versus Ohio. Akron completely blew that mine of my plays earlier this week. Wasn't so happy about that. And then Kent State kind of in revenge mode when they're playing Buffalo here. Kent State lost, obviously, to Akron themselves. But, you know, Nevada, Fresno State, Xavier Butler is the bigger one, I suppose. And, uh, you know, Xavier is a very injured team, and they're traveling to Butler now. Butler is probably a little bit more of a desperate team. I would I would certainly lean Butler in this uh, predicament. Uh, looks like Air, New Mexico is going to play Air Force. Air Force is kind of that drain you team. Now, Air Force has been really up and down lately. I think that their performance versus Colorado State was bad, losing at home 53-69. to 69. What the heck happened there? And then they lost by 20 points at Nevada. You know, they have about six losses in a row. It's probably a big get-up spot for them. But if you look on the other side of the ball, New Mexico lost two in a row themselves 
against uh, Utah State, Nevada. So, you know, not a great spot for either team. I, I would lean to the under, or at least a team total under on Air Force. They haven't been scoring many points lately. They play massively slow, 355th in pace, you know, uh, terrible offensive efficiency, or at least pretty bad, breaking 148th. They, the problem with them is they don't play good defense either. So, you know, New Mexico could roll them pretty bad. So team total under is the only way I would look for that. Let's move on to Saturday. Much bigger slate of games. So, you know, I guess one of the biggest games is UCLA versus Oregon. Uh, let's see what Oregon does tonight against USC. But this is a, a pretty massive game, being that Oregon's going to be a big home dog to a UCLA team. I, if Oregon loses to USC tonight, I might be looking to back them here. They're a very good home team, ranking 85th and home away court discrepancy. So that's a big one. Uh, Tennessee versus Missouri, can't do nothing there. Going to be a big spread. It's obviously at Missouri. I'm sorry, it's at, sorry, obviously at Tennessee because you're looking at 11-point spread. But Missouri was very injured, and they have a bunch of questionable guys right now, some of their key guys. Looks like mid-February for a few of them, Trey Gamillion and DeGray, mid-February. So they're probably out. I'm not going to go against Tennessee in a big spot where they you know, just lost to Florida. No, thank you. Alabama-Auburn's a fun one. This is going to be in Auburn. I can only play the over in this game. You know, Auburn, they really ran with Texas A&M last game. And, you know, Bama's going to be a three-point road favorite. Not super excited to lay chalk here um, on, on Alabama in such a big spot because Bruce Pearl's team lost four of their last five games. It wouldn't shock me if Alabama did cover. But I think just the pure speed of Alabama and the fact that uh, Auburn can get up and uh, play quite well. Their last game versus A&M, both teams were hitting a lot of shots. The game went to 161. This shows 147. I'm guessing it's probably going to be 150 for the total. I highly doubt they keep it, you know, that low in this situation. Alabama number one on Ken Palm, or number two on Ken Palm, 15th in offense, sixth on defense. But you can just see by the rebounding, they care much more on offense, and they are the third fastest average possession length, while Auburn is the 120th fastest average possession length. They tend to play a little bit more defense, but I just think the pace goes high in this game. And I Ken Palm's got 149. I think it's going to be anything above 150. I will be looking to the over in this game. Texas versus West Virginia. You know, West Virginia is on my fade list. Now, Texas was on my fade list. Going to bring them back a little bit. They did lose a big game recently. Was it Kansas? Let me pull it up. Texas just lost to, yes, Kansas. And it was uh, 80 to 88. A shootout type game. They beat Kansas State by three points. I lost that bet last Saturday. They kind of kept it close with Baylor, 76 to 71. This is going to be like a five or six point spread, in my opinion. Ken Palm says four. I think that four is wrong. If the market does go with four, I will be backing Texas at least up to five points. Um, yeah, Ken Palm says four. Uh, Hazelmetric says four. Uh, I'll be backing Texas at home here. I think West Virginia, as I said, 
before was a little bit fraudulent. Creighton versus UConn is the biggest Big East game. This is going to be a fun one. You have Creighton that's actually going to be at home. UConn going to Creighton. This just screams for me to back Creighton. UConn coming off a nice win against Marquette. And, you know, it was that game was over from the first half, you know. They won 87-72. They just jumped Marquette. Marquette could not come, uh, come back. But I like Creighton. They are the best team in the Big East. And this is going to be around a three-point spread. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm more than happy to take Creighton right now. And they're still on the revenge tour from when they lost Cockbrenner. I thought, you know, they've really grown up since they've done that. So most likely going to be looking to Creighton unless this line gets past three. I would probably call it at three and a half where I want to back that back them at the most. Gonzaga BYU is a good game. We were on Gonzaga. Unfortunately, we had an overtime beat. Gonzaga plus three and a half, and St. Mary's beat them in overtime. Oh, there's some just interesting uh fouls going on at the end of that game. But you know, Gonzaga had them the whole game and kind of blew it. So one of those weird situations. And I probably have to back the over in this game. It's going to be only 150 according to some of these numbers. BYU plays a little slower than they have before in the past, but they do play a little bit better defense according to some of the numbers. But this team with their coach is still an over team, in my opinion. On the road, they've been actually scoring a decent amount of points lately. Going to pull up their numbers here. You know, away teams, they scored 76 against Santa Clara in a loss. They scored 74 against San Francisco in a loss. Uh, obviously the St. Mary's or the St. Mary's drains you. They lost by one point at home. Then they beat Loyola Marymount, a score 89. They score 81 at home against Pacific. I think this team can definitely put up some points on the road if need be. One problem with BYU is that they turn the ball over a lot, ranking 326. So that's going to give Gonzaga just some more fast break points. Am I looking to back Gonzaga with, as a 10-point favorite? I don't know. This is such a big game. This is almost like a big rivalry with Mark Pope there. He's been you know, coaching BYU for a while now, I think since 2020. Yeah, about this is his fourth year at BYU. We're going to go over most likely up to 152 is pretty much where I feel comfortable on this one. So we'll see where the market is set. Let's move to Sunday real quick. See if there's anything before the Super Bowl. I mean, you're going to get some Big Ten games. Purdue Northwestern is going to be a fun one. Uh, Northwestern is a good dog this year. Unfortunately, Big Ten away dogs have been actually bad, but Northwestern is going to be a home dog here, and you're probably going to get a six- or seven-point spread. Definitely looking to bet back Northwestern in this situation. The Big Ten home teams have been covering machines. Uh, Northwestern's still a little bit underrated and under the radar. Plus, Purdue's going to be coming off a pretty big game. Uh, I believe that they're playing tonight, and they will be against Iowa. So, you know, depending upon what happens this game, they're going to still be on the road at Northwestern. I, Purdue wins this game at Iowa. Definitely be looking to back the Cats in this situation. And then on Sunday, we also have Iowa versus Minnesota. Man, this is going to be an ugly game. I do not like the Gophers. They're very hot and cold. I, they played well as a dog this year, but I don't think they can keep up with Iowa. Might be looking to back the over in this game. But then again, 
Minnesota, their last two games at home, they scored 57 against Indiana, 46 against Maryland. Good defenses than the one before that, 39 versus Purdue. Yeah, they're, they're, they are they could possibly cover against Iowa because it's going to be a large spread, but probably one that I'm not going to be too interested in getting involved in. Ohio State will be hosting Michigan State, another big spot. Ohio State has just been awful this year. Now they're 11-12, you know. I mean, talk about a crumble for a team. And when I saw them play Wisconsin, they should have beat Wisconsin if they just didn't get jumped so bad. You know, they were down by like over 20 points at one point, and they ended up losing only by five. But, geez, Ohio State, you know, I don't know what's going on. They just lost to Michigan by eight points. Uh, this They have a massive game at home against Northwestern tonight. Uh, I'm not backing either team just because I think there's probably a little value on both Northwestern and Ohio State um, in the spots that they're actually in. I just think Northwestern's a little bit better than 57th on Ken Palm. Ohio State's probably proper now around 34th. Uh, before I said that they were overrated, now I think they're probably pretty close to where they should be. I will be probably on the home team again uh, against Michigan State. You're going to look at about a three, three and a half point spread tops. So we will uh, be looking to back Ohio State if it's three or less for sure. All right. Well, that's all we have to say about college basketball for the weekend. After the Super Bowl is over, we're going to have some more big college basketball guests coming on in. So prepare for a fun finish all the way through March Madness when it comes to your college basketball betting pleasures. Let's move into some UFC 284. And my goodness, this is so, so strange that Islam Makachev's first fight is against the 145 champion. Now, he was going to be a potential sub-in for the Charles Oliveira versus Islam fight that happened. So it was just kind of strange. I guess he wants to try, like Izzy did, to be the champion in two weight classes. Now, let me just preface this whole event by saying this. This event sucks. And I'm a big UFC fan, as you know. But... You have Makachev, who I've been on this whole last three years, and I've made lots of money on him inside the distance or by submission and different props. I actually was betting him when he was plus money just getting in. Um, and then you have the minus 410. <laughs> I mean, this is the main event, and he's minus 410 against Volkanovski. I understand it. You know, I understand that number, and I'm going to get into that a little bit. But the problem is the rest of the card is really bad. So not only do you have a non-supposedly close main event fight, according to the spread, or the money line, I mean, you have a very bad card. The next is Yair Rodriguez versus Josh Emmett. Um, and by the way, this is in Australia, so you're going to get definitely a lot of Australian uh love here for a lot of these fighters now volk is australian so it's like islam is going to australia to fight him but i think the crowd's going to influence some of it just like those fights in england you know all the english fighters seem to do pretty well but at the same time 
the rest of this card, these have been juiced up already. Probably in many cases a little bit more than they should have. Now, I might be jumping on if this number, the numbers on some of these keep moving against some of these Australian fighters. Now, I'm going to get into that after I give you my Islam Volk handicap here. I think the price of this is probably should be, instead of minus 410 for Islam, it should be minus 350. Now, this is one of those weird situations where I thought the opposite. You know, the, the Australians not getting the money. I think there's an 80% chance of Islam winning, which is minus 400, 75% chance at minus 300, right? So it's minus 410. Islam's bigger. And the 145 weight class absolutely freaking sucks. I mean, that weight class has been weak for years. The top two guys has been Alexander Volkanovsky and uh, Max Holloway, right? And they fought like, what, two or three times? I think that Max Holloway uh, should have beaten Volkanovsky, and they just gave the uh, the title to Volkanovsky, being that he was the current champ. I mean, the split decision back in 2020, I thought Max Holloway kind of got him. You know, Before that, in 2019, he did beat Max Holloway, but then his last fight was against Max Holloway for a UMass decision. Max Holloway... 145 at best for that guy. You know, if there's a way that he can get shorter and move to the 135, he'd probably be even better. But Jesus, he's just a great fighter, amazing technical fighter, great striker, black belt, all that. But Holloway just couldn't get above the hump with Volkanovski, even though I thought he did. Next one was T-Sizzle Ortega. Brian Ortega, that is a complete China doll who whose body falls apart constantly when he's fighting guys like Yar Rodriguez. He's beating Yar Rodriguez, and his shoulder went out. <laughs> you know, so it, it, that was a weird situation. Uh, he lost to Volk in a decision, just a bloodbath. But um, this this is just another situation where Volk's not finishing the best in 145. How the hell is he going to compete against Islam Makachev? When the 155 class is just much more stacked, you know, guys like Drew Dober, you know, Dan Hooker's in that class. Obviously, Conor McGregor, when he used to be good, is in that class. Uh, Michael Chandler, DP, Dustin Poirier is in that weight class. Armand Sarukin, you know, you have some just fantastic Charles Oliveira, of course, the former champ. I mean, this this is stacked, and Islam's the best in this class. So the number's not that far off, even though it's a little bit juiced. But here's the deal. You know, Islam finishes his fights, and this is a five-round fight. You know, there's a few fights that he hasn't, but he's the bigger man. He's bigger than Volkanovski. You know, he's 5'10", 155 pounds. Volkanovski's probably going to be weighing in about 155 pounds. I'm sure he's bulking up for this. But he's 5'6". You know, he's shorter. Now, a couple things about Volk. He has went to decision a ton against Max Holloway, Brian Ortega. But he's not getting hit with a guy like Islam who has really, really stepped up his uh, standing, his uh, striking. He also has been very good at mounting and just uh, beating the crap out of people like we saw against Bobby Green. First round he did that. You know, he mostly submits because that's what he is. He fights at Eagle with uh, Nurmagomedov Madoff with, a, with Khabib over there. But at the same time, he's just a bigger man. 
you know, I if the if this gets to decision, I expect Islam to win this, but you're not going to get a good price at minus four ten. I think being that's five rounds, you're going to have some opportunity, and this is how we're going to bet it. Alexander Volkanovsky is dangerous. He has the best leg kicks that I've seen in the UFC. If he somehow gets Islam, who doesn't get kicked a lot, takes his knee out, this thing could be over by TKO. You know, Alexander Volkanovsky could possibly catch Islam as well because Islam, way back in the day, got knocked out by Adriano Martins back in 2015, I know. But, you know, he's he's been dazed a little bit before. Uh, Tiago Moises clipped him once or twice. You know, uh, Davi Ramos, Sarukin did. Yeah, th- those end up going to decision. But th- there's a path to victory with Volk if you can take his legs out. Is it likely to ha- happen? Probably less than 20% chance it's going to happen. But at the plus 600, you really got to like those odds, you know. So I think you throw a half a unit on Volkanovski. Now, the other side, you put 1.5 on Islam at minus 110 to win inside the distance. I think it makes sense. So basically, Islam wins inside the distance. You minus the other half out, you win a unit, right? If Alexander Volkanovsky wins, <laughs> that's three total units minus the unit and a half you bet on Islam. You win 1.5 units, you know? So you're kind of hedging both sides. You have two bets and you have two outcomes. The thing that could kill you is if somehow Alexander Volkanovsky chokes out Islam or the fight goes to decision. Well, Alexander Volkanovsky is not choking out the best grappler in the UFC. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. But uh, if it does go to decision, it does bust you. But the price of this not going decision under 4.5 rounds is minus 145. Fight doesn't go to decision is minus 170, which is like betting two units to make 1.2. So I'm just going to make one if Islam wins. I make 1.5 if Volk somehow wins. So there you go. It's it's almost the same thing. I have no problem for you betting. Fight does not go to decision at the minus 165, minus 175 range anyway. So basically, I don't have a problem if you take it the way I am. Islam wins inside the distance at minus 105, minus 110 I see for... 1.5 stars to win one because the only reason you win one is because Volkanovski might win and you bet a half unit on him. That pays six to one. That's three units minus the 1.5 you bet on Islam. You either win 1.5 or you win one. I also like the minus 170 that it doesn't go to decision, which pays around 1.2 units for a two unit bet as it is. So approach it either way you want. I might have an article out for it on Saturday to give you my decision on which way I am doing this fight. Going down the card, Yar Rodriguez versus Josh Emmett. Yar's at minus 180 and Emmett's at 155. Now, I always thought that Emmett was a little bit overrated. And I think he's won some just crazy close fights, you know, uh, ones that have definitely shocked me. Uh, I don't think that Emmett is all that great of a fighter. I think that he has a ton of heart, though, and I think that's why he's won some of these fights. But Yar Rodriguez lost to Max Holloway himself. He beat Jeremy Stevens. He beat the Korean Zombie with an elbow. That's his big win right there. What do you feel about Josh Emmett 
compared to the Korean Zombie, well, I would definitely favor Korean Zombie in that fight uh, if it has happened. You know, he beat Qatar, which was a very, very hard-fought fight back in 2022. I was very, I guess, surprised by it. It was just he a split decision. Some people thought that Qatar actually won that fight. He he fought Ige and won in a decision. Shane Burgos in a decision. So he fought some pretty good fighters. But, uh, you know, is he top-tier level? Because they're saying that Yar is because Yar beat basically Ortega. And Ortega was winning that fight until his bones snapped. A lot of people said that, you know, that was because of Yar Rodriguez's defense. So you got to give him a little credit for that. But... You know, I, if I'm lining this fight, I'm probably saying minus 150 for Rodriguez, not quite minus 180. You know, I th- I, I think Emmett's got a little bit of an outside shot here on this fight. You know, he's a good fighter and just because he lucked out and beat somebody like Qatar doesn't mean that he's not a good fighter, you know. So there you go. It looks like a stay away from me completely in this match. So why don't just talk about some Australians. There's only two that I really trust. Jack Della Maddalena at uh, minus 315, minus 320. And he's fighting Randy Brown. Now, Randy Brown goes to decision a ton. Rand- I, I I could see Randy Brown possibly winning this if something happened. But this is in Australia. Magdalena is, or Maddalena is a massive crowd favorite. People are going to be screaming. and knocks out a lot of his opponents. I think that Madalena probably wins this fight. You know, Randy Brown has fought in some pretty easy guys as of late. I think that Brown is a little bit overrated because of it. I've seen him lose to uh, Vicente Luque, Nico Price, Bilal Mohammed, which is a fine loss. You know, but, you know, we'll see about Jack Della because the problem with Jack Della, he hasn't fought in anybody big himself. I guess the Danny Roberts was decent in the Ramzan Amiv. But it was just decent. He knocked him out. He caught him. Uh, can he do the same thing against Randy Brown? Maybe, maybe not. Randy Brown does like to go to the decision. I thought the Kalen Williams one was a little bit of a lucky win. Uh, I thought the Trinaldo fight. You know, Trinaldo's just an okay fighter. So, you know, I thought that uh, it was a decent. I thought that was a decent win for him. But Jack Della being almost undefeated, thirteen wins, two losses, way back in two thousand sixteen is the reason he's the big favorite here. You know, he took care of Ange Lusa in the Dana White Contender Series, and uh, Ange has been a, a really tough fighter from Switzerland. But when it comes to significant strikes, 8.45 landed per minute for Jack Della. I mean, that's just amazing. And Brown's got about 4.38, but it, it, Brown's striking defense isn't so great at 54%. I, I think that that's where Jack Della really can possibly win and you know Jack Della he can really defend the takedown um I don't think that uh Randy Brown is much of a takedown artist his takedown accuracy is only 33 percent so I I definitely like Jack Della and I probably will parlay him with another big fighter named Malarkey in this uh card Malarkey is in the prelims I believe yeah, against Francisco Prado. Prado has zero UFC fighting experience. No Dana White Consender Series. He went to the Samurai Fight House, and he's done really well there. But it's just a bunch of no-names that he's beaten. 
You know, he's actually had four fights in 2022. He's had uh, four fights in 2021, all undefeated. You know, he he's probably a solid fighter, but he's really, really stepping up in class against a guy in Malarkey who's 28 years old, beat guys like Michael Johnson, Kama Worthy, Devontae Smith. He did lose to Jalen Turner, but look how good Jalen Turner's been. You know, so not too, not too upset with that loss or the Fairs ZM loss or the Brad Riddell loss. That's his really only three losses as of late. And this is, he's an Australian. This fight's in Australia. I expect him to finish this fight and at least, at least uh, get out of Dodge here. I'm, I, Prado, just not enough experience to back a guy that is step up massively uh, in competition. And if you look at some of the guys Prado's fighting, they lose way more than they win. It's almost like these guys were set up uh, for Prado to move up uh, in a way. So we're going to go with Malarkey with uh, Jack Della in the parlay that pays about minus 123 for two stars. Well, I've been with the best, and I beat the best. I've retired more men than Social Security. <laughs> All right, looking at the rest of the card, I just think some of these Australian uh, fighters have been propped up a little bit too high, in my opinion. You know, I think that the Menefield fight is interesting. He went down from plus 180 to plus 160. Jimmy Crude has just started out such a great prospect, but he's just been hurt so many times. Menefield's just a big boy and a beast, and it, it, he can be really soft sometimes, but he also has a massive temper. And I've seen Menefield show that temper and uh, just take some people out. I mean, he beat Misha Serkinov, punched him out. He beat Askar Mozorov. Uh, he lost to William Knight, which was a weird one in the decision. That was one of his soft fights. But, you know, he Fabio Charant at Herman, you know, he did get beat by OSP. But that was way back in 2020. And Devin Clark, who's actually a pretty good wrestler as well. So, yeah, I mean, I can see Menafield certainly being in this fight. I'm uh, contemplating that one. A couple other ones on the card that I do not like. Justin Taffa against Parker Porter. He's minus 125. I don't like either of these fighters. I think, you know, if anything, grab Porter. But you are, you know, maybe, maybe that's the home field advantage here, why he's plus 105. I think he was plus 140 earlier this week. So um, you know, that's just another one. I, I think that's been a little bit mispriced here. Uh, Tyson Pedro, too. Not a big fan of Tyson Pedro going against Modescus uh, Bukakskis. And uh, Modestus is a bigger guy, you know. He's he, he's a, he's a, at least a better striker. You know, he lands more strikes per minute. Now Tyson's a little bit better of a grappler. He's had five submissions, but uh, Bukowskis has also had two submissions. It's not like he knows doesn't know how to do it. And when I pull up the actual uh, stats on this fight, which was you know definitely one one that I was interested in. I thought Modescus was pretty good at defending the grappling. 100% takedown defense. You know, so if Pedro's not taking him down, what's going to happen? You know, he definitely could get beat, you know? So Modescus is another guy that I might go against an Australian. But those are my thoughts on this card. If you have any questions for me, tweet us at the Oddsbreakers. Tweet me at OBKF. Let's get into some NFL with our wonderful guest, Matt Landis. Now I'm really happy to welcome back a man who loves his hops and specializes in the props, Mr. Matt Landis from the Props and Hops podcast. You can follow Matt on Twitter 
at mlandis18. Matt, thanks so much for coming back on the show. What a huge game going on this weekend. How is life treating you? Kev, we're just days away from the Super Bowl. I'm talking to you about it. Life is good. <laughs> life is good, man. I mean, being down here with the Super Bowl here, it's a little crazy with the Phoenix Open going on. It You would not believe how many people go to this thing. It's just, it's the biggest golf event around in size. And uh, I'm sure in alcohol, it certainly uh, is the biggest as well. There's a lot of fun and lots of yelling that goes on to it. I went there a lot when I was younger. Now I'm kind of like, all right, I'll go. Give me, a, if I find it, me a 10 pass or something like that. But there's plenty to do around, around this town right now. And uh, the weather's looking nice, Matt. Yeah, I remember growing up in San Diego, we used to get the Super Bowl from time to time, and just the energy of being in the host city. I mean, it's electric for me every year as we approach the Super Bowl, just from a betting standpoint. But there's something that does seem a bit more pure when you can actually take in the vibe of the whole in-person experience. So glad you're getting it, and uh, hopefully LA gets back in the rotation before too long so I can partake in it once again. I think with SoFi, it will be sooner than later my friend what a beautiful stay in that is but speaking about beautiful things we got to talk about beer because we both enjoy beer big reason that i love props and hops so much as well as the great bets so what kind of super bowl beers are you looking to get into this uh this week sure so i've got three lined up as we speak if you want to just set them up knock them down actually shortly before we came on board was able to secure uh, what i'll think of as the grand finale but for starters there is a beer by the name of timbo pills highland park brewery out here in los angeles makes it and what i really like about timbo it's got the body of a pilsner it's really light and crushable but they add some mosaic and citra hops so you get those citrusy tropical notes it's a bit fruitier more flavorful than a standard pilsner without the slightly heavier body of an ipa so it's really nice because you get some of the best top flavor but it doesn't weigh you down in any way so so that's what we're starting with do you have anything lined up for a, a first or second quarter type of beer no that's perfect so, so first quarter sometimes i'll go hard with an ipa but i'll just ease into it sometimes we're going to go with an easier wheat beer, and I, I don't remember if I mentioned this one, but it is orange season, really, down here in Arizona, and there's a great beer called Papago Orange Blossom. It is a wheat beer. I'm not the biggest fan of wheat beers, but this one is genuinely good. You know, all the oranges are ready for picking right now, and it has some great orange flavors, and when it's really cold, it's actually very delicious, and uh, I'm not so sure you can count that as vitamin C, but I try to count it, Matt, when I'm pounding those down myself. Yeah, well, speaking of vitamin C, I will say that uh, the beer I will really ratchet the hops up with probably later on in the game is called Adios Ghost. It just dropped today. It's by Monkish, which is an IPA powerhouse out here in Southern California. And it's a triple IPA saturated with citra hops. So again, vitamin C, that, that citrusy hop flavor pretty much delivers. And this is a really full-bodied, creamy, hazy IPA but it's dangerously smooth. This one is about 10% ABV, and when we're talking double digits, it goes down way too easily. Glad I'll be watching <laughs> Super Bowl from the comfort of my own home so that with some Adios Ghost in hand, uh, nothing's at risk of getting too far out of control. Yeah, that's three, three beers in one with the ABV on that thing. Holy cow. Yeah, now that you're kind of speaking my language there, that sounds absolutely delicious, and uh, it sounds like a West Coast IPA is... is uh, so... Go ahead. 
Adios is actually a hazy IPA. The Timbo Pills is, is okay. closer to a West Coast IPA with a bit lighter of a body. And then, yeah, Adios is, is definitely on the hazy side. Okay, so the, the New England IPAs, and that rolls me right into my new next, which is a New England IPA from the Shop Beer Company right here in Arizona, another Arizona local we're going with. It's called Church Music, and I texted you about that. It was actually delicious. It's uh, 6.7 ABV. It's not too bad, but it's got made with some pineapple, and it's definitely got the Citra hops, and it's a New England IPA. Looks like an orange juice somewhat when you put it in a glass, right? But it is absolutely delicious. My buddy was here. We had a few of them. I have a few more saved for Super Bowl Sunday. So why don't you close us out with the, uh, well, not necessarily the top beer, but your final beer you want to discuss. Sure. So I love that we've been on the same page with some pretty citrus forward beers thus far. This will be a bit of a departure. If variety is the spice of life, I am going to wrap it up with a beer by the name of Blueberry Muffin. It's by Great Notion Brewing, which is based in Portland, but they've expanded their footprint recently across much of the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest. And as the name would imply, my head almost exploded the first time I ever smelled this beer years ago. It really does capture a fresh baked blueberry muffin with maybe a little bit of that like sugar sprinkled on top. Um, definitely more of the dessert type of beer. I wouldn't say it's sour, but it is tart. And especially with the aroma and the flavor to a slightly lesser extent, really lives up to that billing. I might have to get a blueberry muffin or something to pair with it as we're nearing the home stretch of the Super Bowl to round out, yeah, the Super Bowl hoppier side of things. This one, not one of the hoppier beers, but yeah, with that flavor, it, it's a nice departure, good change of pace from some more hot forward beers earlier on in the game. Oh, there you go. You went hoppy to go through this one. That's my favorite. Love it. So to close us out, man, I, I you know, it's so funny. It's like when it comes to the Super Bowl, a lot of times I just, you know, think of my old days drinking Miller Lite and stuff like that. So I have no problem doing, uh, you know, obviously the standard Miller Lights and all that fun stuff. But, uh, you know, with this one, I, I want to think of the first beer, that uh i ever had and it's actually miller genuine draft and i don't know why i've been jonesing for that lately but i kind of remember when i was 15 years old and i had my first beer and to be honest with you i don't even know what it tastes like but i do remember watching the super bowl when i was a kid with my dad i mean like teenager right and i was actually able to drink a little a couple beers with them just to get that feeling of nostalgia back i'm gonna i googled to make sure miller still made it and i was like okay I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a couple genuine drafts, and we'll get back to you to see if it still tastes well. I can't remember. But back then, man, pretty much everything tasted good, Matt. Oh, yeah. And I like to maintain the ethos that as much as I can nerd out on craft beer, there's a time and place for every beer. And Super Sunday can be a great one for some of those crowd pleasers. And I appreciate the honesty. Not saying when you were 21, <laughs> wink, wink, and you had your first beer. It seems like you got off to an early start. And uh, among that kind of line of beers, it seemed like you got started with a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, Miller's definitely a popular. It was out of Milwaukee, being that I was from Chicago and then Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, definitely a very popular treat for us. We weren't Budweiser people, we were Miller people back in the day. So there you go. Well, let's move into the Super Bowl then. Super Bowl Sunday, 57 in Glendale, Arizona. Man, huge matchup. Kansas City Chiefs, Philadelphia Eagles. And the nice thing about this matchup, Matt. You've got one of the top four teams on each side here in this matchup. You don't got any flukes going on. We've had flukes in the past. Heck, we've had flukes win the Super Bowl, in my opinion, especially that one Giants team against Tom Brady that one year. But, uh, you know, what's nice, you have a pretty tight line. And uh, just before we get into the props, anything quick on the side in the total? 
I think that when we get to this stage, Super Bowl full game spread in total, a market that's been out for more than a week at this point, and it's about the most efficient we'll see all year when it comes to spreads and totals. No bets for me at the current numbers. I would lean Kansas City's way on the spread if I were forced to make a play, and that's just because there are so many pros and cons you can make for both of these teams. I get why it's such a narrow point spread, but for almost the entire season, most of the respected power ratings I saw, if not all of them, had Kansas City as the better team, and not by a significant margin near the end of the season once we knew the Eagles were for real, but still Kansas City a clear better team. I know the Eagles have been really dominant in the playoffs. I know the Chiefs had a rash of injuries, especially in the AFC Championship game beyond just Mahomes. But I feel like the Eagles being favored might be reading too much into the Chiefs injury situation. And so far, every indication I've gotten is that Kansas City, not going to be 100%, but not going to be too far short of it. So I wouldn't be surprised if as we get closer to kickoff, we see a little bit of Kansas City money if this number does move. Therefore, if I'm looking to bet the Chiefs, I'd probably do it sooner rather than later. On the flip side, if you're out there looking to bet the Eagles, I totally understand a lot of valid reasons why that could be the case. But I might just sit back and wait because you might be able to get a better number come kickoff. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, I, to be honest with you, plus three on either side would be value. Oh, for sure. It's just, I like the Eagles early. And I expected a bigger line move due to the injuries, but it looks like everybody's playing but Hardman. I still think some of these guys are injured. And if my perfect algorithmic uh, number comes up to the Eagles minus 0.5. Well, 0.5 doesn't happen in the Super Bowl. One rarely happens in NFL games, and three is pretty common. So uh, I don't have a problem. Uh, I I was thinking buyback possibly when I had that early bet, but I still can roll with it here because I have the healthier team, and I guess from the offensive and defensive side of the ball, you're looking at a top four or five team. The Chiefs are a little bit more hurt on defense, yet they do have Mahomes as the quarterback. But you know what's interesting about being at such a tight line? It means that you can really kind of theorize how you want to put your props together. You know, it's uh, you want to put it maybe where you're not going to get destroyed on one side, right? Um, like if you think there's a big spread, maybe you favor one side, maybe you, uh, and you agree with that spread, then you go low on the other. I'm going to probably adjust my portfolio, Matt, of situations where either side can win and I can still win all of my prop bets or most of them to make a profit. Does that sound like a sound strategy to you? I think it sounds really prudent because there's one train of thought where before you bet all your props, handicap how you see the game going and bet according to that narrative. And especially as I touched on earlier with a line being this efficient, I think there's maybe a lot of hubris involved in thinking you can forecast this game script better than a market that's telling us, you know, the Eagles, a very slight favorite, probably a pretty close game, but no surprise if either team wins. So I think that there's a way to be, you know, much more resilient with a prop betting portfolio that maybe has a fair mix of overs and unders for key players on both teams. It's just about trying to find value, time the market properly. We can touch more on that later if you'd like, Mm -hmm. but not so much adhering to a game script that either one of us individually foresees playing out on Super Sunday, and instead just trying to find value in the numbers themselves and not marry them to any one outcome in this game. Yeah, 100% agree. I think in a game like this, uh, not being married to necessary out to to either Kansas City winning or the outcome of Philadelphia winning um, could be proper. But I did favor tight ends and running backs because that's how I believe um, it, this game's going to shape up. I'm not a big believer in um, the receivers on 
the Chiefs, well, for one, they're banged up and they're going to play. But do you know really that Tony's ankle is all that good? You know, do you really know Juju Smith-Schuster is completely healthy? And the numbers kind of come up and show that. But at the same time, Jalen Hurts, I'm not 100% his shoulders okay either. I think they've done, well, had a very easy path on the Eagles side. And that's what everybody's talk about. But, you know, they beat teams in many different ways on the ground and through tight ends like Dallas Godart. So I'm kind of shaping my portfolio around heavier on the tight ends, heavier on the running backs, and a little bit lower on the receivers where I might be waiting to the last minute to take some of those unders if I don't like the the number on the receiving yards, which they're very low right now on the Chiefs. I might just go receptions, Matt. So we're going to take a look at it like that. So this means basically the prop bets I made, there's still plenty more to come, you know, before the Super Bowl itself. But I'm going to start with one that I do like, Matt, and that is the second half to outscore the first half. And I laid minus 120 on this on DraftKings. I think this is a prop I play every single year, and I think most of the time it hits. Yeah, that's one that I have also played every year in memory. I haven't played that one yet this year. I'm not sure I will just because... The Eagles seem to be so good in their opening drives. And also, for whatever reason, statistically, their second quarters have been off the charts good. And maybe there's plenty of noise there. I'm not sure. I'm not saying that definitely matters and it means you're doomed with this bet. I'm just wondering if it's, you know, some degree of a chance that there's something to the Eagles being better in the first half. Again, if this is a competitive game, the Eagles have had a lot of blowouts in second halves. If they're forced to keep their foot on the throttle, then we could see the second half outscore the first half as we have in many Super Bowls. But beyond the Eagles specifically, Kansas City also seems to be so good early on, um, not to overplay the Andy Reid off a of buy narrative as far as this whole game is concerned, but specifically early on scripted plays. I think the Chiefs can get really creative and maybe catch the Eagles off guard a time or two. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a bit more scoring early on in the Super Bowl, just given the makeup of these two teams. And that said, I think that we'll see a lot of efficiency across both offenses. To your point about looking at running backs and tight ends, I'm not sure that we'll see much explosiveness in this game. So just because both teams could be efficient, it doesn't guarantee that we're going to see a ton of fireworks in the first half. We might see some, you know, plays of the, you know, double digit play drives, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine minutes. So I've just been so torn on this one because I almost always play it in this specific matchup. If I'm not getting a bit more of a discount on the price than I am in most years, it's kept me on the sidelines to this point. So that makes sense. And the one thing that I'm okay about with my Eagles bet is everything you just said right there. If the Eagles start big, the Chiefs are a comeback team. We know this. That's what Mahomes does. I will hedge back on my play anyway and try to middle. And that's kind of what I think could happen. So definitely not a bad idea if you really think the Eagles could power first the first and second quarters, but I would still think it would take a blowout for the second half to not score more, especially with some of the fireworks we see in the fourth quarters of some Super Bowls. I lead minus 120. I'm pretty okay with it, but one another play that I did was first score field goal, and I did, being that it's better than plus 200 on the blended odds, I did half of it for the home team plus 450 half of it for the away team at plus 390 i believe the eagles are the home team if i'm not mm-hmm. mistaken and i so i split it up into that you blend those odds together it's a little over 2 plus 215ish uh, so 
my th- th- thoughts on this is, first of all, the correct number on this is around 160, 170. I did the math on this before. And secondly, this is the Super Bowl. They do not want to throw a pick at the beginning of this game and completely screw themselves over. I think it's going to tighten up when it comes to the red zone. People will be tightening up at such a big spot. It's usually a field goal kicker I see, and this has hit for me many times, Matt. Yeah, I can't bet the other way on that one. This is another wager I haven't gotten down on yet to fully align with you. Um, I I think that you're shrewd in calling out that this prop is priced on a lot of what we see in the regular season, where more often than not, the touchdown is the first scoring method. And in this matchup, I would feel very confident if I knew that Kansas City were getting the ball first, that that's a good look. But with the Eagles, the way that Nick Sirianni manages a game and will go for it on fourth down, I mean, we saw it in the NFC Championship game, the Eagles opening drive for most teams, fourth and three at the opposing 35 yard line. You're probably attempting a 53 yard field goal and NFL kickers these days make most of those. So this prop would have gotten home in the NFC title game. But Sirianni goes for it. Catch or no catch by Devontae Smith. The Eagles got rewarded for it and pounded in a touchdown very shortly thereafter. So. Again, as I think about this specific matchup, some props that might be annual staples are really backed up by a macro level perspective on what we see across the league. I'm just trying to get a better feel for these teams and especially the Eagles, the way they play. I think it's so analytically sound and I'm glad that they've been rewarded by that getting to the Super Bowl. I'm just not sure what that might mean for some props that are usually pretty easy to pin down based on math from a historical standpoint, based on a lot of new things the Eagles are doing differently. That's true. The Eagles are very powerful. They could possibly score a touchdown on the first drive if they, well, lose the coin flip and then Kansas City defers, which we have two very deferring teams. So speaking of that, do you have any beginning of the game props, whether it be, well, obviously you said no to the first score, but, you know, possibly a punt situation, maybe first score touchdown or anything like that, or should we move into positional props? I think we can go with the very beginning of the game and something that's been an annual staple for myself, and and I'll give it another go this year. Opening kickoff, not to be a touchback. I'm seeing that pretty widely available at plus 140. And I like this not so much because I think it's any sort of a lock, but because I view it as about a coin toss. And if we're getting plus 140 on a 50-50-ish event, then that's enough to get me in play. And I think talking about the math that you broke down for the first score method, I think the way this is priced heavily considers in the regular season, we see a lot more touchbacks. And I think a lot of that is in the name of player safety and and all teams just wanting to keep their guys fresh, kicking the ball through the end zone, or if a guy receives it one yard deep, just taking a knee. And in the Super Bowl, I think field position trumps any notions of player safety. It's not uncommon to see high short kickoffs, or if a team is receiving and the ball goes a couple yards into the end zone, to see them bring it out. Because I'd imagine if you're the deep return man for the opening kickoff of the Super Bowl, the adrenaline has got to be through the freaking roof. Mm -hmm. So considering that, maybe there's a bit of a narrative there in my head. But looking at these playoff runs for the Eagles and Chiefs, for both teams, their playoff kickoffs this season have not gone for touchbacks more than half the time. So again, ultimately, if this is about a toss-up to me, plus 140 either side I would play. If we had plus 140 on the yes for a touchback, I would take that as well. As the market is currently priced, I, I can't fault a look, and I myself am evolved at plus 140 on the no for the opening kickoff to be a touchback. So let me ask you, if they did a fair catch on the five because they didn't want to run it, would that be called a touchback? Can they do that in the NFL? Well, I think they. I think when they just go like this, they just wave it off, right, and the ball just goes mm-hmm. sailing past them. That would be considered a touchback. Oh, sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. I know in college you can actually fair catch it. And I, maybe that's a touchback. I don't know yeah. if that rules. Yeah. The yeah I, I asked it wrong. I believe. Sorry about that. Okay. No, that's, that's totally cool. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's certainly possible. I just feel like if somebody's got a chance to make a big return at the start of the Super Bowl, they might be looking to do it unless, I mean, there were explicit orders last year when the Super Bowl began, um, the return man kind of dug his heels in at the goal line and didn't take a step back. So if either team gives those kinds of demands this time around, this prop could be doomed. But I've seen a lot of kickoffs returned because they were received in the field of play or even times where the ball is several yards deep in the end zone and somebody just wants to make a big play to start the game. And even if they don't get back to the 25, they might be much more willing than usual to take that chance. Interesting, yeah. I I can't remember about the NFL now, so I'm going to research that if the fair catch is available. I know I get my college and NFL mixed up a lot, you know, as I do both sides. So I'm going to have to re-research that. Uh, so what kind of positional props maybe be quarterbacks, uh, tight ends, running backs, or anything have you attacked so far this week? Yeah, so far, building on your point about running backs and tight ends, um, I I don't want to encourage people betting these at current numbers just because they're marquee players. But conceptually, not to say I have Miles Sanders over 55 and a half and got a Travis Kelsey receiving yards over earlier on. Um, those numbers don't seem bettable to me now. But But as a teaching moment, if somebody is looking at those guys and hasn't bet yet, typically in a Super Bowl betting cycle for marquee players, it's best to look toward overs early. And if you're looking to the under, just wait. There's no rush. Uh, I know that I also got down on Mahomes passing yards over last week. And there are betters who I highly respect, pro betters who have gone on record as saying they're going to bet that Mahomes passing yards under, but they're just waiting because if over betters could have taken him in the 280s or low 290s, now if we're in the mid 290s, a bit of a no man's land, this might creep up to 300 or more. And that's when people are going to come back the other way. So I think with positional props, there is a lot of timing to consider. As things stand right now, if somebody's missed the boat on Mahomes passing yards over, but they think, hey, he looked a lot better than I thought in the AFC title game, two more weeks of rest, I think he's going to be really effective in the Super Bowl. I think an alternative could be something like attempts, 38 and a half I've seen available, minus 110 to the over at a major regulated U.S. book. So there are a lot of downstream ways to attack the same angles once a yardage prop gets blown up. For quarterbacks looking at things like attempts or completions, for running backs looking at rushing attempts or longest carry over under, for pass catchers looking at receptions, longest reception over under. So so just conceptually, those are the things that I'm starting to consider more of. Um, something that is available and not everywhere, but a lot of shops. Um, I actually listened to the Dream Preview pod this morning and thought that a really good case was made for Jarek McKinnon longest rush under eight and a half yards because Odds are he's not going to get a lot of work out of the backfield, especially with CEH getting activated. But I think that on passing downs, McKinnon might be in there to protect Mahomes. He's a great pass blocker. Or if they dump the ball off to him on a third medium, fine, that doesn't affect his rushing output. So I think McKinnon, still a key player out of the backfield for Kansas City, but more so in the passing game than in the running game. Yeah, I was looking at his uh, totals. Pacheco has been used late more lately in the passing game, which I found some interesting. So um, I actually like Pacheco's over, and I played it at 64.5 rushing and receiving yards. And uh, I wanted to put them together because I'm not sure which direction Kansas City is going to go in. But what I do know, Matt, is that these uh, defenses – tend to soften up a little bit against the running backs. And if you look, that's where the weakness is, if there's any really with the Eagles, was the rush opponent EPA. 
per rush as well as uh, Kansas City. You know, they give up around 4.5 rushing yards per attempt. So it's nothing major. It's not like they're a bad team. That that would just possibly be a play. So I like the Pacheco over. And you said you like the McKinnon uh, receiving? Yeah, McKinnon, longest rush under eight and a half. Okay. Where that's still available. It uh, Last I checked today, it wasn't available everywhere, but it wasn't like it was just available at one shop at a rogue number. So that's something that somebody with multiple outs may well be able to find. One more that's pretty widely available and I'm waiting on, but I think it's bettable now. MVS receiving yards to the under. I'm seeing that posted anywhere from the mid 30s to some spots, the high 30s. And I think a lot of this may be driven by recency bias in the AFC title game. Six catches, 116 yards, a big touchdown, eight targets. I think a lot of that, though, was driven by attrition with Juju and Kadarius Toney and Harnman going down. We know two of those three receivers will be back in the fold for Kansas City this weekend. And in MBS's previous six games, he hadn't touched 30 yards. I know he had a really good performance on a really big stage to get Kansas City to the Super Bowl. But I, I try to remind myself with a guy like that, what have we seen more often from him than what have we seen most recently from him? So if that recency bias kicks in is a lot more of the public gets down, I would bet, Kiev, that probably 90% plus of public money is not down on the Super Bowl yet, and that can really get books lopsided. So if people remember MBS's monster AFC title game, this one might trickle up. Even if it doesn't, I think 35 and a half, still bettable. But I'm optimistic that maybe somewhere we'll see something closer to 40 to then go ahead and get in play on MBS receiving yards under. Yeah, I hope so, because last year I was waiting on unders and actually they went more under. Um, and I think the, I think either the books wanted to gamble um, on maybe they got a lot of public money overs and they just didn't want to move it. Or uh, there was just an overwhelming number of sharp people just uh, waiting on taking the unders and they just kind of decided to take it during the week. I found it interesting that over the last year or two, some of those narratives didn't go through. I do believe the Pat the, the Mahomes one though will be uh, moved up to three hundred as well, and so I'm one of those people sitting out for that. But if it doesn't, you know, I'm going to question it a little bit, and uh, maybe maybe I'll even like it a little bit more. So um, we'll see when I reassess that. But you know, just kind of my whole feeling on the way the game's going to go. I saw Kansas City defend very well with Spagnola as the defensive coordinator against Joe Burrow. They took out the two best receivers. Joe Burrow saw it a little bit and threw it to Hurst, but you know Boyd was wide open, and then he got hurt. And then, obviously, with Irvin, they couldn't really get him the ball. There was no camaraderie there between uh, uh, Burrow and, uh, and him. So I think that they might do that again to the Eagles and say, well, we're okay with you beating us on the inside because we're at least not allowing touchdowns. So I do feel that's going to be one of the ways of going. So I'm going to be taking A.J. Brown's under, and I think I'm going to take Devontae Smith's number of catches under. I just haven't done it quite yet. What about any first touchdown ones? Do you dabble with that? Those could be a negative EV when you get some of these numbers together. Yeah, those can be a lot of fun. So if somebody's betting for entertainment value and they're not risking anything they can't afford to lose, I totally get it. Personally, I'm more of the mindset that almost every bet I make, I'm really trying pretty ruthlessly to see what's going to be the best for my bankroll in the long term. So I don't have anything down on that. But if you're looking for something early in the game to have a bit of a sweat through some of the first quarter, um, the prices on will there be a score in the first six minutes, that, that price is fluctuating from shop to shop. Um, but another one that Steve Fezzik brought up on the pod this morning when I listened, I think he said that minus 140 was his fare for the no. 
And that kind of made the light bulb go off in my head because I've had the thought for a couple of days. I spoke with NFL handicapper Cleve TA on props and hops yesterday, talking about, again, the notion of a game where the offenses can be pretty efficient, but not so explosive. So I think the the punts under has been steamed. That's really hard to find a bettable number anymore. Mm -hmm. But something like no score in the first six minutes, the opening drive of the game could result in a score and this one could still cash. So I don't know who's going to score the first touchdown, but if you're trying to find something of value and still have a bit of a sweat for a good chunk of the first quarter, that's the way I'd prefer to go. And I'll just trust Fezzik's math and say that if we're looking at no score in the first six minutes, minus 140 or better, I would definitely agree with that concept. All right. No, good stuff. So as far as a – here's one that's going to be popular bet, and it's funny because it's Philadelphia. It's the Philly special. And some books are uh, putting it out there. I I requested some people's just this, uh, some books makers to make a yes or a no prop. I still haven't seen it. But one's one's interesting. At and it came in at twenty two to one. It's a non quarterback to have a passing TD at twenty two to one. I admit I threw a little bit on that because it doesn't have to be the Philly special because both quarterbacks are a little bit hampered anyway. But it could be like a Kelsey or somebody else, uh, you know, with a trick play. And Andy Reid loves to uh, draw that stuff up. So that's one of the little bit of uh, more creative ones that I decided to jump into, Matt. Yeah, and I'll admit that last year on this very prop, I lost betting the no. I found a 6-1 to on the no for a non-quarterback to throw a touchdown pass. And again, I think often in the Super Bowl, VIG and value can go hand-in-hand. For a lot of betters, value is synonymous with a big plus number. Sometimes trying to think probabilistically, you can lay six to one, eight to one or more on a prop and it feels really steep. But if the true probability is below that break even percentage, you know, you can you can find some spots where laying big is very advantageous. Unfortunately, last year, I thought I had identified one of those spots. And then I think it was Joe Mixon throwing a touchdown pass pretty early on. So I, I do get that this is the Super Bowl. And again, that broke me out of my shell a bit of looking just at regular season numbers and trying to say, hey, all year long, this hasn't happened or it's happened only <laughs> once or twice in 272 games. Well, guess what? In the Super Bowl, that's when we're going to see teams usually unleash their max creativity. And especially like, you know, with somebody like Andy Reid in this one. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's more likely than not to happen but I cannot fault the notion at all of looking at that to happen if you're getting 22 to 1. Yeah, 22 to 1 pretty much sold me on that one. It's okay at that price. Anything lower than like 12 to 1, I probably went to look at it, but man, that's a little bit high from why I looked at it. Well, what other props that, that you could you give out that you made, uh, if any? I, I don't know the size of your portfolio right now, but uh, is there anything left that we haven't discussed? Sure, a couple more that I can share. Uh, one... I will give a hat tip to Sharp Clark, who came on my show last Friday. I already had this high on the radar, and he definitely nudged me to get in play. The team to have the longest field goal, the Chiefs, and DraftKings has had this posted at even money. Mm -hmm. And I'll note that that even money is a three-way market. So if there's no field goal in the game, or if somehow the longest field goal for both teams is a tie, then that Chiefs angle would lose. But a lot of other books offering this at a two-way market, Chiefs minus 115 to minus 120, where you get a push if there's no field goal or there's a tie for the longest field goal yardage between both teams. And what I like about this handicap is that something we touched on earlier, NFC Championship game opening drive for Philadelphia, fourth and three at the 35, a lot of teams would kick a field goal. They go for it. I think Andy Reid almost assuredly kicks a field goal in that kind of spot. 
So this is the kind of edge where I think there could be fourth and shorts in field goal range. Philadelphia more inclined to go for it. Kansas City more inclined to attempt a field goal. Not a lock by any stretch, but if you can get you know even money in a three-way market, I think it's probably closer to a 55 to 60% edge. So it's almost just like getting you know, more favorable odds where you only have to pay the price of a coin flip for something that should be slanted a bit more heavily in Kansas City's favor. No, there you go. I I love it, man. I bet that too at DraftKings at plus 105, probably like the mm-hmm. second day it came out. I'm like, well, Butker, yeah, they're kicking the field goals long. Uh, Sirianni, he's going for it. <laughs> That's the first thought yeah. that went through my head with that one. So I absolutely love that. Um, there's a lot of interesting ones. Will there be an octopus, same player to score to TD, get the two-point conversion? I actually personally think there will be a two-point conversion attempt. I, I took the yes at plus 152 for an attempt, not necessarily a completion. They just need to uh, attempt it. A lot of times you're down by 11, you get that uh, touchdown. You need to get the twos to be, get between three. So I didn't mind that one so much in the Super Bowl. But the last one I want to give out is Flexer Cox. And unfortunately, DraftKings pulled it right after I bet it. But it's still out there in some other books, but not quite as good. I, I bet over 0.25 sacks at plus 260. And um, now it's 0.5 at, uh, so that's a push and a half sack at plus 200 in some offshores right now. You can shop around. But uh, I like Flexer Cox, and I think the, he's one of the reasons the Eagles have that best defensive line. He knows how to do the swim techniques and the rips and split double teams, and he's a great three technique and gets to the quarterback. I think Mahomes will be pushed up into the pocket with some of those great pass rushers as well somewhat. Might be a little bit hampered where a, a big nose tackle can actually catch him. All you need is a half a sack to go over it. So you just need to bump into the guy while Hargrave or somebody else is taking him down. So that's the defensive one I like as of right now. And I'll go with one that might sound like a fade of both defenses, but isn't necessarily the case. Uh, the, the last one I can throw out here, will a team score three unanswered times, excluding conversions? So we're talking three legitimate scores, a uh, touchdown field goal, or perhaps a safety, but probably not a safety. And I like the yes on this one. Laying, I've seen DraftKings hanging minus 175. That's about my price cutoff for this being a bettable number. But as we get closer to kickoff historically, it sounds like it would be pretty far-fetched in a game with such a tight point spread. And there's a nice plus number attached to the no. So I think we'll see a lot of public action on the no over the next couple of days. And this number might get even better than minus 175 on the yes. So bettable now, but I'm going to wait for perhaps an even better number between now and kickoff. And one of the subtle factors here, it sounds like, hey, we've got two really good offenses, a pretty high point total, um, you know, a tight point spread. It could be back and forth. Well, that's all true. It doesn't necessarily require consecutive stops from the defense because the way this gets home a lot is a team scores near the end of the first half and then coming out to start the second half. So there's a way to score three straight times where your defense only touches the field once. I think that's a hidden factor here that when we see this at minus 175 or better has me really looking at the yes for a team to score three times in a row. Very sharp, Matt. And that is always on the yes. And people get tempted from that plus money. No, the truth is it happens way more often. Do you think, especially when you're at the, in the fourth quarter, let's say you're up by, you know, maybe 17 points, you allow a field goal, you kind of allow another field goal, you know, maybe you get, maybe they do get that backdoor touchdown. There's just ways that, uh, you know, 
you're in coast mode, you're punting the ball, you're trying to drain the clock, and the other team can inch back and, and blowouts and in those situations as well. So not only all the stuff you said about going from first half to second half, this happens quite often, and it happens more often than people think. So great one. And I will be waiting on that yes, too. So thank you for you for reminding me of that one, Matt. Well, hey, man, we are out of time. Thank you for covering all these wonderful props. I'm sure people can tune into Props and Hops and get all these props that you made with some of your great guests. Where could our listeners and viewers get your great information and media? Sure. So Props and Hops, wherever you get your podcasts, also available on YouTube if you search Props and Hops. You'll find it there. Uh, For the latest info on anything else I'm sharing, on Twitter, at mlandis 18 All right. Make sure you guys check out Matt. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. Best of luck in the Super Bowl. Make sure you enjoy all the the, props and all the beer. Uh, Right back at you. Yes. Best of luck with both the props and the hops come Super Sunday. And, of course, I'm going to be releasing an article of a bunch of prop plays that I played during the week that I'd like to give to you for free plays. We're also going to sum everything up for our premium subscribers and give you the full list of prop bets that we played over the past two weeks. Even though we sent them to you, it's a lot easier to compile them in a list. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy the weekend, all the games, all the fights. Enjoy the Super Bowl and go get some winners.